She has a bachelor's in equine business, a master's in equine reproduction, and a PhD in leadership. You won't want to miss today's lesson with Dr. Amy Lawyer on the business of the equine industry. Let's grow, Thrivers. Hey, friend. Welcome to the Thriving Equine Professional. Are you wondering how to make connections to build a career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck. Hey, I'm Jody. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health, but I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. Welcome back, Thrivers. We are going to talk today about the business of working in the equine industry. Our guest is just a true shining example of a thriving equine professional. And I'm also lucky enough to call her a dear friend. So Dr. Amy Lawyer, I am so excited to have you on coming to us from the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program. And I have to, I always set our audience audiences up. We've had a few guests on so far that are very recent connections of mine. And then I love to be able to tell the story about a friendship like ours, because it's been at least probably 10 years ago when you and I met at a more personal, but professional small group of equine extraordinaires, if you will, when we started a wine and prayer group is that that was the first time we met. I'm sure of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know that people would naturally make that connection between wine and prayer, but it worked for us. It worked for us. It worked for quite a few years and it was truly life-changing. And so that group of our friends that started there and have just remained all of us in the equine industry, all of us good friends and the fellowship and sisterhood that came from that time of our lives was so critical. So I always love to kind of celebrate the beginnings of these many connections that we have in the equine industry. But today, I really want to dig into not only who you are and what role you have, Amy, but the journey that has gotten you to where you are today. You have been at the University of Louisville, I think, two years, two and a half years or so now. And most recently, within the year, appointed to the chair of the equine industry program within the College of Business. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So tell us a little bit about that program. I am, as your friend, so proud of that accomplishment. And I know that that it was hard earned. You, you've come through many challenges. You're, we're going to talk a little bit about your education journey, but let's start with that equine industry program. Tell us about it. Sure. I love talking about it because um, it's a passion of mine. And this was we'll get to the road and the journey, but this was kind of my ultimate goal. And so to be able to realize that goal at this point in time has just been literally a dream come true and blessing in so many ways. And, and one of the reasons why this was a goal of mine is because I felt like this program in particular serves such a great purpose, not only for our students, but has a role and fills a gap in the equine industry. I did my undergrad here. I'm a graduate of the equine industry program. And when I got to school here, I kind of didn't know what to expect. I knew I loved horses. I knew I wanted some sort of career in the equine industry. I didn't really know how to get there. And I actually came to L to play softball. 
And that was at the time my number one priority. And they asked me, well, what do you want to major in? And I said, well, do you have anything with horses? And they said, yeah, we do. Actually, it's in the College of Business. And I'll be honest with you, my first reaction was "Mm, business. I don't know. That kind of seems not really what I was looking for. But I was like, well, let's give it a shot. And I'll tell you, even at 18 years old, sitting through my first couple of weeks in class, a light bulb went off. Because even though I didn't have a lot of experience in the business side or the actual real horse industry, I've been riding for years. I had a lot of you know, family connections that were in the industry. But I, even with that limited experience, I had seen some really talented people fail at sustaining a career in the horse industry. They were outstanding trainers. They were great with pedigrees. They were great with veterinary medicine. And yet they were unable to continue down that path. And the missing link was business skills. They didn't know how to manage people. They didn't know how to, uh, you know, client acquisitions or record keeping or understanding tax or understanding liability laws or just marketing themselves or their business. And you can be the best horse trainer in the world. And if you don't have these basic business skills, you're not going to be able to sustain a career. And so very early on in my education, I kind of made that realization that all these people that I knew that filed for bankruptcy or had to get out of the industry and work in a regular nine to five now that weren't as excited about it, but that's what they had. It wasn't that they weren't good with horses. It was that they weren't good with business. And so I, I saw that where this degree filled that gap. It helped to teach people necessary business skills while also talking about the nuances of the equine industry. There's not another industry out there where you have to have knowledge of agriculture, knowledge of animal science, but also knowledge of the things that we had mentioned before, basic business principles, but also how government regulations fit into things. It's part entertainment, it's part tourism, it's part introducing new people to something that they're completely unfamiliar with. And so how do you have that education piece to your business model? And so the complications of that are all things that we really focus on in our curriculum here at UofL. And I truly feel like our degree, we prepare our students to go and have a career. We're not preparing them to do a specific task we're preparing them to have a long-term career. And that's what gets me excited. We're able to kind of tailor that to our students' interests. And so we have graduates who are trainers or farm managers or owners or coaches or have corporate positions at major industries, but it all falls back on those business skills. And so that's what kind of gets me excited about being here because I truly feel like our degree is beneficial. And then we're putting out students who have skills that the industry needs. And so we're able to kind of elevate the industry by putting those people with that knowledge and background out there as, as a workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I have always had such an interesting agreement, right? And from one another's perspective, you as a longtime educator involved in 4-H, involved in extension and teaching, and me from the corporate side, that we agree on exactly what you're talking about. And it truly is really bringing the industry along to understand and help to support what I see as a few of our gaps. One of them being the student to professional transition. And the second for me being that early career, that first five years or so of really supporting our young people. So you are providing a well-educated prepared young person to come into these careers. And then I want to step in and be able to support them with some of that experience that comes only from tenure of being out here that we are working together academically and industry to say, all right, we, you've prepared a competent, skilled, educated young person. And now we need you as an industry to step in and support and mentor and champion them through these transitions and early career. So I think that It gets me as excited as it gets you from just a little bit different point of view. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, one of the things that gets me excited, just working with horses to begin with, we're, we all have a, a common interest and a common connection. And, you know, this is, I use this term all the time and, and I truly believe in it. This is a passion industry. This isn't something that people are just getting into to get rich quick, or they're not getting into it because they fell into it or because their uncle got them a job. You know, people are intentionally joining this industry. And because of that, it can be competitive. It can be a little raw and difficult because there's a lot of high expectations. But at the same time, there's a collective goal and there's a collective focus and there's a collective desire. And, and because of that, I think it's also motivating to be in this industry. And it also shows that, you know, there's, there's very few people that I've ever met in this industry that, that refuse to come back and help you know, that refuse to be a guest speaker, refuse to, you know, lend a hand that people realize that it it takes a lot of work and it takes everybody working together. And those network connections are so important. And because they realize that most industry professionals that I've been around see that and are willing to be there and help. Yes, without a doubt. And so let's take that transition then for you as you've built so many connections. But when you left UofL with a bachelor's in equine business from this program, you then chose to go on to Colorado State for a master's. So tell us about that program and kind of how you switched maybe from business to science at that point. Yeah, absolutely. So I really enjoyed my degree here and I, and I had a lot of opportunities with it. My ultimate goal at the time was to manage a large thoroughbred breeding farm. That was going to be the epitome of, of success and what I wanted to do in this industry. And so leaving here, I felt like I had the managerial skills and tools and understood how to work a business, but being in a highly specified segment I felt like I needed more understanding of the science and the actual reproduction. And I had an amazing opportunity to go out to Texas and work on a cattle ranch. And through doing that, met some awesome people that then in turn introduced me to Dr. Jim Hurd, who was at the time overseeing the Colorado State program. And he offered me an assistantship. And I'm not sure that without those connections, I would have been offered money to go to school. And without that money, I'm not sure I would have been able to go to school. So, but it also all trickled back to me taking that internship at the cattle ranch that was outside my comfort zone, way outside the area that I was familiar with. And then going out there and and working my tail off. And by doing that, I had no idea how to rope. I had no idea how to cut cattle. But I learned in my eagerness to learn and my work ethic, I was able to earn respect, which then led to these people wanting to introduce me to these people with connections. And so I was offered this position at Colorado State, which was a graduate assistantship paid for my school that also gave me a living stipend. And so I went out there and did a very intensive two years master's degree at their equine reproduction lab. And it's, it wasn't for the faint of heart. Had it not been for my dog at the time, that was my emotional support system. I'm not sure I would have completed it, but the two of us stuck it out and were there for each other. And I uh, I completed the program and came back to Lexington, got a job at a large thoroughbred breeding farm. And it kind of looked like things were going in that direction to kind of achieve that that goal at the time. You know, this is music to my ears. So many parts of this, right? You talk about being eager to learn and that we really try and drive that. But you mentioned the work ethic. And that is so important to our listeners to understand what that means. And I am quick to say, you know, you're a great example of being at Colorado State for two years in a really challenging program. We can do anything for two years. And I'll start there. And secondly, doing hard things, in my opinion, ultimately makes life rewarding. And so when we will make those sacrifices and do some hard things, we are really achieving greatness. And and that provides us with a great deal of fulfillment. And so those are the messages that I think really have to come across. So you are back in Lexington now and you are 
educated and you've survived one of the toughest experiences to be out of your comfort zone, out of your geography, and now you're back on a breeding farm. So what next? How did that kind of come together? So I got a, I got a wake up call. I, I thought I was somebody. I had two degrees under my belt. I had a master's degree from one of the top universities in equine reproduction. And I got a job at a large thoroughbred breeding farm and I was mucking stalls. And my husband at the time, who had not finished college and got a job at a, a different farm, but in the same capacity, was actually making more than me at an, on an hourly wage. And it was a little devastating at the time. And I thought, is this what I work towards? Is this what, I, what I'm doing? And, and I kind of thought, you know, you kind of have to go through this, right? You kind of have to pick, pick up the pitchfork and you kind of have to go through a little bit of that experience. And from now, from a educator who teaches management classes, I kind of see that even stronger because if you don't know the jobs and the difficulties and the frustrations and how to do that lower level work, it's really hard to manage those people because you don't understand what they're going through and you don't understand what it takes to do that job. And so where at the time it was frustrating, I think it was really valuable and it's really important to take, take that on. I was able to kind of move my way up to barn foreman. I was in the position to step into an assistant manager job and then the 2008 recession hit and the farm that I was on made a lot of their revenue through the yearling sales and they were just completely stagnant that year. And everybody was kind of shocked and everybody was kind of looking at each other. What do we do next and how do we weather the storm? And I got to be honest with you, um, the farm that I was working for didn't make some great decisions. They had overinvested in some stallion stock that didn't pan out. Their solution to a downward turn in market trends from the sales auction was to raise their boarding prices without realizing that the owners of those yearlings also didn't make money. And those were the same owners of the broodmares. And so they weren't able to afford the higher board prices. So they pulled a lot of mares out to go other places and they ended up having to shut down a whole division. And, um, so I was kind of then stuck with, uh, okay, do I, do I ride this wave? Do I see if the economy is going to straighten out? Are they going to expand more? Or is there another place to go? And I actually decided to go work at Haggard's for a while, riding with an ambulatory vet during the breeding season, which again was a little bit demoralizing at first because I wasn't making a lot of money. In the end, it was so valuable because I was able to take all of that classroom experience. There was a lot of practical experience at Colorado State because of their client mares, but not on farm away from a protected university environment, right? And so I was able to go out there and, and by working with them, seeing the volume of horses that we did in that breeding season um, gave me so much more practical real world experience than you could have ever gotten in a controlled university environment. So that was really great. But I reached a, a breaking point when we were at a farm and we went to short cycle a mare and the vet told me to go draw up an injection to short cycle the mare. And he told me what drug to use. And I was a little surprised because it was kind of the old school drug. There was a more modern version of it that had fewer side effects and the efficacy was a little bit higher. And so I was a little I was wondering why we were using one and not the other, but again, I didn't want to question in front of the client. So I drew up the, the shot, gave the horse the shot, finished up our work. We got back in the, in the truck and I said, okay, I got to ask, why are we using the older drug instead of the newer drug? Is it really that much cheaper? Because I thought that's the one component I didn't factor in, right? The business side of it, how, what's the dollar value? And he laughed and he said, actually, the newer drug's slightly cheaper. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm puzzled then because the old drug we know gives them muscle cramps, visible muscle cramps you can see from the outside, gives the horse diarrhea, causes the horse to sweat. And the newer drug, way less side effects. So why would we put this horse through that if it wasn't necessary? And he told me that that farm manager, he tried to use the new drug and the farm manager was convinced it wasn't working because he didn't see those side effects. 
Wow. And I was shook. I was like, no, that that's not what we need to be basing decisions on. Right. Like that's just poor management from top to bottom. And, and that was kind of a turning point because there had been other situations that were similar to that leading up, up to that, that point. But I, I kind of thought, okay, I could either continue kind of on this path and be fighting these small battles the rest of my career, trying to convince people to try new methods, trying to convince people of research, trying to state a reason as to why we need to adopt new or modern technologies. Or I could go teach people how to be critical thinkers, how to to understand research and interpret research and apply research, how to use um, leadership practices to improve your overall organization. And that got me really excited because I felt like I would have a larger impact on the industry as a whole if I went into education than if I stayed on one individual farm and just impacting one or two people in this way. So that's when I kind of made an about face. I got back into academia. I worked for several years just as a staff um, at a university, but still in worked a little bit at UofL in the equine program. Then I went to UK and worked in extension and with 4-H and taught in their undergraduate program while I was working on my PhD because I really felt like that. If I could be a faculty member, if I could have control of the curriculum and the classes that I taught, I could personally have the biggest impact on the most number of people. So that's kind of the trajectory I took. So admirable there. You have repeated the word leadership. And if I'm not mistaken, Amy, your PhD is in leadership? Correct. Yes. And so that's a key word that continues to come up. And I would love for you to even define that from your perspective, because I think you demonstrate that personally and professionally. And leadership doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean being a boss or a manager or an owner. Leadership is very personal. So give us, like you've mentioned that word and I've heard it. So give us kind of your definition and why that's important to you. Sure. And it's interesting that you ask for a definition because people who study management and leadership have debated on what is the definition of leadership for years. And is it just accomplishing goals by any means possible? And a lot of people are going, well, no, that's that's not really it. Because if you lose half of your employees along the way, that's not really good leadership. And so it's it's been debated for a long time. And personally, I kind of lean on, there was a scholar named Joseph Rost, and he wrote a book on leadership in 1991. And he presented a a definition, forgive me, I'm not going to get it verbatim, but it essentially looks into, he uses this phrase called, and that he is influence relationships. And it's creating influence relationships within an organization in order to pursue mutual purpose. And I really like that because I like the idea of leadership being really focused on the people and how do you get the most out of people? How do you motivate people and how do you influence people? But it's not just manipulative, right? It's not trying to manipulate people for your goal. It's to create this mutual purpose. And so you have to have an understanding between the group of people that we're all working towards the same goal. We all have the same purpose. So how do you communicate what your purpose is? How do you get to know the person well enough to know what their purpose is? And how do you combine that within the goals and and objectives of an organization to all kind of row in the same direction, right? To all work towards the same goal. And so to me, it's way more interpersonal, It's not necessarily about bottom lines where that is important because if you're not profitable as an organization, you're no longer going to exist as an organization. But it really focuses on the people using the, having your your human resources be your most valuable assets. And I think if we can get more leaders in business to see that, to see humans as an asset and not as a replaceable cog in the system, not only do the people feel valued and respected, they're also willing to work harder. They're more motivated, fulfilled with their job and where they work. They feel a part of a larger organization. And ultimately, that's what we as humans 
live to achieve, right? We all want to have a higher purpose. It's not merely about survival. Survival is important. We have to survive. We have to check that box. But after we check that box, then what's the next thing is finding our purpose and our meaning. And if we can connect that meaning to our employees and then also to the overall goals of the organization, everybody wins, right? We're all succeeding. We're all thriving. And and I think that that's kind of the ultimate ideal for leadership. The wisdom of Dr. Amy Lawyer. I, If our listeners could see me, I'm over here cheering because you know that the one, and we joke back and forth about this, Amy, because I am a, I say I'm a people people. I don't just have to say I'm a people person, but I think that the, that it's really driven home by being able to say I'm a people people. I believe in influencing without authority. I believe in leadership personally and professionally. I believe in everything you just said. And that is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I believe that there are young people who need us and they need to be taught by you and they need to maybe be inspired and empowered by me to continue on this mission because I do believe that it is a purpose and it is living mission possible. What is my mission? That will change. We have had many missions. You know, you've explained a few of yours and and talked through some of your pivot points. For me, it is what am I going to do when I grow up next? I've had an an amazing career, right? With a, a couple really impactful brands. And now I'm out here saying I can do more. I can give more and people need to hear these stories. So I just, I will go back and listen and take some notes on exactly what you just went through in regard to that definition and the author and understanding leadership from that perspective, Uh, because it does sound a little bit different. I repeat often influencing without authority, and it's a similar concept, but again, just really key to understand. So we've walked through kind of your professional side of the journey, but I also want to interject here because for you, Amy, you do still have that kind of owner dream alive as the owner of a thoroughbred breeding operation with your husband. And so you are not only an educator, but you are a wife, you are a mom, you are a great boss and an owner. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. If you've, you know, our listeners that have heard previous episodes know that I really despise the term work-life balance, because I don't think we should put work and life against each other, that our work is part of our lives. So So for you, you really do have a well-balanced life that includes many different roles in addition to being an educator. So give us a little bit of a peek behind your own personal curtain. Well, it's interesting. And and I don't know that I would necessarily recommend taking the same path that I did, but I do think it's important to maybe speak it into the universe. And if somebody if it resonates with somebody, then maybe that is something they want to emulate. But I'm not saying that this is the only way or the best way of doing it. My husband also works in the thoroughbred industry. When we decided to have children, we were at kind of a turning point where childcare was really expensive and he wasn't overly happy with the job he had. And so we made the not easy decision that he would stay home with the kids One of the reasons was I was working for UK and working on my PhD. So I was getting my education paid for for free. So it wasn't just my paycheck. It was also the value of the PhD that I was gaining from that work experience. And so it worked for us. But at the time, I also wanted to make sure that he still was able to fulfill his dream and be involved with thoroughbred racing as much as possible. So he was able to find a way to really focus in on the parts of it that he loves. He loves pedigree. He loves studying. He loves statistics. And he took some of his connections and he did bloodstock consulting on the side. And it was able to kind of pair that with being a stay-at-home dad that kind of helped him stay motivated and stay focused. And we owned a couple of racehorses here and there, not overly successful, but it kind of kept our appetite going But I got to the point where I was really tired of writing checks to somebody else and not getting to see and touch my own horses. And if you're really into it because of the animal, that that can be disheartening. 
And so we made a decision that we were, weren't going to own horses for a period of time. And we were going to save up with the ultimate goal being to own our own farm. And I had peer pressure from mutual friends of ours to, Amy, you want to go riding with us? Let's just buy a horse. Like you can afford to own a horse, just buy one. And I kept having to say no. And it was tempting because I did. I wanted to have my own horse and I wanted to go trail riding with friends and I wanted to have that aspect. But the ultimate goal was we wanted to have our own farm and we wanted to have a place that we could keep horses on our own land so that my husband would be able to kind of fulfill his dream of owning the horses and breeding horses. And so I had to keep that as the ultimate focus and not succumb to the temptation of, yeah, let's just go out and, and buy the next horse that, that strolls by. But the, the moral of the story, or at least the success or the resolution of that is that when I did finally finish my PhD, when this faculty position came open at UofL, where we knew that we'll probably stay here for a, a good period of time, we had savings built up that we were able to put a down payment on a, on a farm that already had the infrastructure in place so that we could immediately purchase horses. We had enough in savings that we could buy two broodmares from the start and get going as soon as we were up and running. And now we were able to not only have that, but we're in a position now to buy the riding horses for fun on the side. We've been able to turn that small breeding farm operation of our two mares into taking on client horses. And we literally are, are, are limited by land capacity, but my husband has been able to find a niche where thoroughbred owners, mostly from Iowa and Oklahoma, where he knows people and has connections, their breeding incentive programs allowed them to breed to Kentucky stallions as long as the mares fall out in those respective states. And so we've been able to carve out a really nice source of revenue for our farm by taking on mares and foals for the breeding season, taking them to the breeding shed, managing their reproduction, which is what I've always wanted to do anyway, getting them to their 35-day in-full check, and then shipping them back home. And so we were able to turn over a lot of horses in a short period of time, have a source of revenue that's now helping pay off our own horses and our farm while we're able to kind of fulfill our dream of owning that, that type of operation. So it was several years of having to turn down the temptation of, well, let's just go ahead and do it now to ultimately achieve the situation that we were really wanting to follow through with. Such a tremendous example of sacrifice and the decisions that we make along the way. There are times in some of our lives that we will be horseless and we go through whether that is career induced and not making the time because I always say people are like, well, you just don't have time. I don't make the time. And I think that's a, a differentiation that we need to accept because we can all make the time for everything we want to do, but making that time, taking that time, making the sacrifice sacrifices to, in your case, ultimately achieve a tremendous goal and a lifestyle that you're building for your family and your children. So what a great example of making those harder decisions, especially early on when we can continue to live on what I call maybe the peanut butter and Raymond noodle diet in order to achieve goals that ultimately we know we want to have as we grow through our life and our career journeys. So I love that. And I didn't want to miss out on that opportunity because, you know, it's such a great example of, of what you guys have built. So Amy, as we kind of wrap up, you know, you've mentioned a lot of things here today in your journey, but you do have a couple of really important takeaways and you summarized it for me by saying, Hey, number one, have a goal. But what I love about that, because we hear that all the time, you go on to say that goal doesn't have to be specific. So can you tell our listeners what you mean by that? If, if I'm always going to have a goal, set a goal, your goal should be a smart goal. We have all these conversations about goals, but you say it doesn't have to be specific. So explain that. I think that there's different levels of goals, right? 
and specific goals are great because it's easier to create a pathway to achieve that, right? And so if you have that and you have a clear focus, more power to you. Congratulations. That's great. Go for it. But I think then people panic when they don't have a clear picture and that panic can lead to paralysis, right? I don't know what to do. I can't make a decision. And so I'm not going to do anything. Instead of panicking that you don't have a clear focus or a specific goal, ask yourself what's your overall goal. So for me, a lot of times it was, I want to work with horses. I enjoy horses. I want to make this my life, my career path. I'm not sure what avenue that is. I don't know what capacity that might be. And so therefore, instead of going, I'm indecisive, there, I then took whatever opportunity presented. And I didn't know necessarily what it was, but I didn't turn things down either. And so, like I mentioned before, working on the cattle ranch in Texas, that brought so many connections, so many networks, so much culture and life experience that I probably would have turned down if I was being overly specific at what I wanted to do and yet open the door to so many more opportunities for me. And so I think that that's a, a key component. You know, I talk to students a lot where they're, they might be working a job at Suntan City while they're going to school. And while that's great, and sometimes you do just have to pay bills and so you, you get a job. At the same time, I try to encourage them to get some job in the horse industry, even if it's not what you think you want to do, because that's building that experience, that's building that resume. And I'm very proud of the fact that every job, every paying job I've ever had, has been in the horse industry. And that all has added to my resume. So so if I go to present a resume, nobody's going, well, why'd you spend two years over here scooping ice cream? Again, I'm not condemning scooping ice cream or doing what you need to do to survive. But if you could make the same money mucking stalls or walking hots or grooming for a show trainer, that's building your resume. That's building your network connections where the other is just biding time. Right. So I think that that's kind of the focus of, of why I say that. Yeah. What a great example. And I recently did an episode for me. It wasn't exactly in the equine industry, but you know, for me, animal health and agriculture is really my platform. And I did an episode on why milking cows was probably the most impactful job and important job I had through my college career. And it is just that because it is a differentiator. It's character building. The fact that I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning and milking cows before most people were up. Those are the experiences much like your experience in Texas, where I love that you explain it gave me cultural, geographical versatility and connections that are immeasurable and otherwise unattainable. So you saying yes. So you start out by having a goal. It doesn't have to be specific, but I think you ended that sentence. Really, if we summarize it, say yes to those opportunities and go after them. And so then you clarified number two for you is work in the industry and that that is so important. And we have a lot of those conversations to your point of, well, I need to make X. You do, we, we need to make money, but we also need the experience that is gonna continue to allow us to pursue the goals that we're looking for in a career and life trajectory. And those experiences and connections do pave a path that perhaps to your example, a, an experience, a work experience at Suntan City does not, right? Not to say that it's invaluable, but let's choose our value based on some of those goals. And then probably my favorite is of the three that you gave me, be the toughest person on the job. Now, this made me smile because I know you and I know you well enough to know that you are a fellow don't out. You can't outwork me right? So you have a work ethic that is really second to none. I know that, but your ability to tell young people, be the toughest person on the job. Explain that for us. It's so easy to fall into group mentality, right? And so if you're surrounding yourself with other people and somebody says, man, it's hot outside, 
the next thing that you're going to hear is somebody else going, yeah, it's ridiculous. This is, we shouldn't even be out here right now. And then somebody else is going to jump in and, and go, yeah, I can't believe that we're out here having to work like this. And all of a sudden, the whole attitude and atmosphere of, of the group of people is negative. It's complaining. It's focusing on how hot it is, how, com- how uncomfortable I am. If you can be the person who separates yourself from that, from people pulling you into that negative mentality to focus on how uncomfortable you are, it allows you to achieve more. It allows you to stand out as an individual. And that is so recognized by people in management, by leadership, by people in the industry as while that person was still working while everybody else was standing over the side complaining about it. And so I think that that's a part of it, right? And and toughness is really, is the ability to perform when you're uncomfortable, right? The ability to continue on, to not let the outside elements affect you, whether it be physical or mental or or otherwise. And so that developing that toughness that I'm going to get the job done, I'm not going to be sucked into this mantra of, complaining and the the group atmosphere bringing me down allows you to achieve more. It allows you to outperform. It allows you to be recognized by that. But at the same time, I think that, and, and I hate saying this, but it's so much more important to females. Yes. Because it doesn't matter what you do you're always going to be viewed in that lens of for a girl or for a woman or, and so I've experienced this so often and in, in, in such a male driven industry, if you do the same as a male counterpart, it'll be valued as less. And so you have to uh, go above and beyond and exceed. And if the others are complaining or the others are not as tough as you are. That's how you get your advantage. That's how you get a leg up. We always laughed because when I was playing sports and we'd be doing conditioning, I wasn't always the fastest person out there. But what I did was we'd run a sprint and then everybody would walk back to the start line and I'd jog back to the start line. And it didn't take that much more effort, but I was there first. And it then appeared like I was outperforming everybody. So I took advantage of when everybody else wanted to take a playoff or take a a rest. I used that to my advantage. Okay, I'm not going to be faster than these people. So how can I outwork them to gain an advantage and to show that I'm superior or working harder or, or the best person for the job? And so looking for those opportunities without cutting corners, but working harder and giving a little bit more effort, putting yourself in a position to get recognized, not falling into the mantra of negativity, that's how you set yourself apart. That's what people recognize. And to this day, I'll attribute that to where I am now of being the one willing to stay a little bit later, to make sure that something's done right, to taking the time to talk somebody out in the extra communication so that everybody's on the same page. And to me, that's the toughness factor that when you want to take the easy route, when you want to just do the bare minimum, that's okay, but you have to deal with the consequences. And the consequences of that is it might take longer to get promoted. It might take longer to get realized in your in your goals, in your career path. But not doing that, being the toughest one out there, not succumbing to the, the negativity or the complaints or the that mantra is what elevates you and what makes you in a position to achieve those goals soon. Without question. My favorite book that business book that I've read this year is grit. And so I believe that what you are defining is grit and it's titled grit, the power of passion and perseverance. And so you have just given us a lesson on perseverance and the differentiation that that makes. And ultimately what that book is telling us is that grit can be practiced and learned that we should all choose a hard thing, choose something that we have to work at to get better at. And that doesn't mean that that's the one hard thing we're going to choose and we're stuck with it for the rest of our life, right? You know, sports is a great example. And that's, I know, very important to your family. So a perfect analogy, but truly be the toughest person on the job. And my definition of that would be grit, practice your grit, 
and know what a differentiator that is ultimately. My favorite movie quote comes from one of my favorite movies, which is A League of Their Own. And at the end, um, the main character is kind of wanting to quit. And the coach asks her why she's going to quit. And she goes, because it just got too hard. And he he goes into this great line about saying, but that's why you do it. It's the hard that makes it great. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. And I, I think that's what sets the equine industry and those successful in it apart. Because you're willing to do the hard things. I had a guest speaker one time that came in and did the look to your left, look to your right. Two of the three of you won't make a long-term career in the horse industry. And she was meaning it from a perspective of the industry is that hard. And I took it from the perspective of who's tough enough to survive, right? It's not, you're not just going to be a victim of the horse industry. The horse industry exalts hard workers. And so if you choose to be that hard worker, if you choose to enjoy and embrace the uncomfortable situations and the grit necessary to succeed, you're going to succeed. So it's not that you're just victimized by, well, I guess I'm not going to make it. If you choose to make it, make it, you will make it. And I think that's the ultimate lesson is that whatever comes your way or whatever difficulties if if you choose to embrace that and and capitalize on the on the difficulties and the hard and kind of embrace that everybody else would be quitting right now and I'm not you will succeed that's the recipe to success i have just gone to school with dr lawyer i you are one of my favorite people to learn from i want to come and sit in your class now there's just so, your passion is clear Amy and your perseverance, your standard of excellence. I hope that our listeners just, this is an episode that maybe we want to listen to again and again, because there are, there's a lot of wisdom to take from your passion, from your lessons, from your journey, from your advice. And I just appreciate that so much. So as we wrap up, is there anything else parting words for our young thrivers that you would like to share? I think it's don't give up. This is your dream. Make it your dream and make it a reality. I think it's don't be afraid to ask for help, whether it's merely listening to this podcast, but I think it could be so much more reaching out to you for coaching and for career advice and and asking people questions and saying yes and being uncomfortable and being thriving in that uncomfortable situations is all the keys. And it, it's not easy, but man, it's rewarding, right? Yes. That's, it, it's so much more fulfilling when you can look back and go, you know what? I persevered. I persisted, even though the odds were against me. And that's what this industry is made up of. It's a, a lot of tough people that weren't willing to give up. And and if you're that person, and if that kind of excites you, then you have the opportunity to go far. And I think that's what you really hold on to. Yeah, we need you. If you're that person, we need you. Come on in. Like we are here to be your supporters, your mentors, your champions. We are here for that. So we are ready. As I'm wrapping up in these episodes, I love to finish up. My brand is Jody Speaks Life because I believe in life, living inspired, fulfilled, and empowered. And you really are exemplary at that, Amy. And so tell us what that means to you as a thriving equine professional to live inspired, fulfilled, and empowered. Number one, it's identifying what my priorities are. And so my priorities are my children, my husband, our horses, animals, but it's also my passion to teach and help people grow. And so I really seek out opportunities that I can combine a lot of those. So my free time is usually spent coaching my kids sports. And it's not from a control factor or, or anything other than I've kind of been able to recognize some talents that I have. And one of them is teaching. And so if I can prioritize my kids and teach and help other kids grow and develop and, and learn, man, we've checked a few boxes there, right? 
if I can go to the classroom and not only talk about horses all day, which why wouldn't I want to talk about horses all day, but also help my students grow as people and develop their leadership skills and go on to do awesome things in the industry, I've checked a few boxes. And so understanding what your priorities are and then finding ways that you can take your leisure and your free time and your career time and all of these things and combine them, then it's kind of like what you were talking about. It's not a work-life balance. It's what is your life? Yes. And, and orchestrating your life to be fulfilling and orchestrating every aspect of that to maximize its potential. And so I, I think that that's what that, that means to me is, is understanding what those priorities are and incorporating every aspect to feed into those priorities. Tremendous. This might be my favorite episode yet. I love just being able to share the kind of passion that we have. Uh, this has been a friendship that has really grown over years, but both of us in roles where we are trying to pour into the next generation of excellence. So Dr. Amy Lawyer, thank you so much for your time today in sharing with the thriving equine professional audience. And let's let them know where they can find you um, should they wish to connect with you. So how can we find you? Absolutely. You can go to our UofL Equine Industry Program page and all of my contact information is there. If you want to email me directly, it's amy.lawyer at louisville.edu. Uh, feel free to reach out there anytime. And I'm almost always available. I don't ever not answer my phone. That's what, but that again, that's what, what I live for. I want to help people. And if, if people are motivated enough to reach out and ask for help, I figure the least I can do is give that help. So if anybody is interested in our program or just talking to me or interested in what we do, please, please reach out. Yeah, without a doubt. You can also find Dr. Amy Lawyer on LinkedIn. And so don't forget that you can find me, Jody Lynch Finley on LinkedIn, as well as the Thriving Equine Professional page on LinkedIn that we will continue to uh, kind of engage as we grow that community if you will. And please reach out. You can also find me at www.jodyspeakslife. It's J-O-D-I speakslife.com. And with that, we will wrap up episode 17 of the Thriving Equine Professional. Thank you, Thrivers. Thank you, Dr. Lawyer. And to all have an awesome and amazing day. Hey, Thriver. I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.